0: kind of hard um shout out to jd yeah um so we've been talking about ezekiel and last week we talked about we were in the chunk of scripture uh from chapters 4 to 24 and so from 4 to 24 ezekiel is um talking mostly about jerusalem about to fall jerusalem's sin israel's sin There's a lot of judgment hey jerusalem look at what you're doing wrong right So chapters 25 to 32 is what we're going to be covering today, and that is mostly on the neighbors of Jerusalem, the neighbors of Israel, right? So there's about eight different neighboring countries that had different reactions to Israel falling, and we're going to look at how God deals with that today. So to look at that, I find it helpful to imagine the Middle East like a schoolyard. Y'all watch Arthur? Who grew up watching Arthur? Heck yeah. Um, so if you imagine the Middle East as a schoolyard and God is the headmaster of this schoolyard and so all these different countries are like different kids playing on the playground if we imagine it like that it kind of helps so you got all these countries, you got Israel, Babylon Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia Tyre, Sidon, Egypt and so God is the headmaster of this schoolyard but God has a daughter who goes to this school. His daughter is Israel. So as Israel is his daughter, he's personally concerned with her sin and her behavior, right, naturally. So on this schoolyard, you have your daughter Israel. And what is she guilty of? What is her sin? We talked about it last week. She's guilty of bloodshed, violence, idolatry, desecrating the temple with unclean images, unclean animals, unclean practices. She's guilty of prostituting herself with the nations around her, sacrificing babies in the fire, sexual immorality, lust, lewdness, giving herself to everybody. And this had been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Israel had had prophets sent to them, Israel had priests sent to them, kings to lead them, patriarchs to lead them, and they always seem to fall back into the sin. So what does God do? God allows Babylon to basically pop Israel in the mouth. Mm -hmm. He uses Babylon as his tool of discipline. Babylon is another kid on the schoolyard. But he says, hey, Israel, you keep messing around. You keep acting a fool. One of these kids is going to hit you in the mouth one day. One of these kids is going to steal you lunch money. Right. And so. It reminds me of this proverb. Proverbs 25, 28. Mm -hmm. Which says. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Sometimes we don't realize about our sin is that sin leaves us vulnerable to attack. The sin of Israel had left it vulnerable to be attacked. A nation where there's 45, 50 different gods is a vulnerable nation. A nation where all the men are perverts and all the women are prostitutes is a vulnerable nation. A nation where the code of morals changes every five minutes based on what's cool and what's acceptable Mm -hmm. is a very vulnerable nation. And a nation where people hate and separate each other based on skin color or class or party or whatever is a very vulnerable nation. Mm -hmm. So Israel was vulnerable and Babylon took advantage of that. In the same way as a person, a person who has 45, 50 different gods is a vulnerable person. A person who lives a perverse, perverted, promiscuous lifestyle is a vulnerable person. If you always have to look over your shoulder for something that you've done, you're vulnerable. If you have a code of morals that's always changing with the wind, changing with what's cool, with pop culture, it's vulnerable. A person who has no anchor to their soul, nothing keeping them grounded, spiritually stable spiritually consistent spiritually is a vulnerable person so if we go back to the schoolyard right israel very vulnerable and god allows babylon to hit them take them over over the course of about 15 years and so when israel fell all the nations around it kind of had different reactions some of the nations also joined in and hit Israel some of the nations stole some lunch money from Israel. some of the nations just sat back and laughed right And so as God God the headmaster of this schoolyard, right how does he punish how does he deal with how does he discipline all these other nations, all these other kids on the schoolyard right because Babylon, even though he used Babylon as a tool of discipline, it doesn't mean that they're not guilty right And the other kids also are guilty and Israel itself is guilty. So I'm going to go into, in chapter 25, he starts addressing all these nations one by one. And I'm going to go in and share what God said to that nation through Ezekiel. And then I'm going to share historically what happened after God said that to the nation. So we can see all these prophecies that actually came true. So in 25 verse 3, we're going to start. This is with the Ammonites. So the Ammonites god says in verse three because you said aha over my sanctuary when it was desecrated and over the land of israel when it was laid waste over the people of judah when they went into exile therefore i'm going to give you to the people of the east as a possession that's what he says to the ammonites we're going to skip to verse eight to moab and he says because moab and seer say look judah's become like all the other nations Therefore, I will expose the flank of Moab, beginning at its frontier towns, Beth, Jeshimoth, Baal, Meon, and Kiriathion, the glory of that land. He says, I'll give Moab, along with the Ammonites, to the people of the east as a possession, so that the Ammonites will not be remembered among the nations. So, here's what happened in history. Five years later, after Jerusalem fell, Nebuchadnezzar went and he took over Ammon and Moab. And he took them for himself. So that came true. That was written. Josephus, the historian, he records that. Uh, Next, you got Edom. And so Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Remember, Edom means red. Uh, And they, ironically, they lived in a big, huge, red mountain. And they lived in the mountain. So verse 12, 25 verse 12, says, Because Edom took revenge on Judah, And became very guilty by doing so. This is what the sovereign Lord says: I will stretch out my hand against Edom and kill both man and beast. I will lay it to waste, and from Teman to Dedem they will fall by the sword. I will take vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they will deal with Edom in accordance with my anger and my wrath. They will know my vengeance. So Obadiah also mentions Edom in the same exact situation. And so, what happened with Edom? Edom was a little different. Edom, they hated the Israelites from the jump, right? As descendants of Esau, obviously the children of Esau, children of Jacob, they just had a lot of hatred. And so they had been kind of enemies from the beginning. From the book of Exodus, when Moses is leading the people through the desert, the Edomites actually say, no, you can't pass here. And they kicked them out and made them go the long way through the desert. That long way ended up being very, very long. So this history between these people goes very far back. And they had always been like uh, just haters from the outside, living in this big red rock. And uh, so what happened when Babylon attacked Jerusalem in the time of Ezekiel, they actually joined in. They said, we're going to help you. And God did not take that very lightly. But the way that he says they will be dealt with is he says they'll be dealt with by the hand of my people Israel. And that actually happened. Later on, in Maccabees 5, it says, Judas and his brothers went to war against the Edomites. They attacked Hebron and its surrounding towns, destroyed its fortifications, and burned down the towers around it. So, later on, the Jews actually did attack the Edomites and lay waste to them, themselves by their own hands. So that actually came true. Yeah, I didn't think I would be quoting Maccabees in this many. either. Um, that's historically that it also is confirmed that that happens. Philistia will be really quick with the Philistines. So in verse 15, he says, Because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their hearts and with ancient hostility sought to destroy Judah. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines, and I will wipe out the Carathines and destroy those remaining along the coast. So with the Philistines, God says, He himself is going to destroy them. And I did some research and there is not one single person on this planet who has Philistine blood in their body. They are completely gone. Yeah. They do not. Yeah. They do not exist at all. So, yeah, it's kind of uh, (laughs) startling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So God dealt with it by his own hand. It is intense. It gets It's yeah. Okay. So next is also intense. So the city of Tyre, this is kind of a cool one because you can see I'm going to show you visually what happened. So he says, son of man, because Tyre has said of Jerusalem, aha, the gate to the nations is broken and its doors have swung open to me. Now that she lies in ruin, I will prosper. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out in the sea, she will become a place to spread fishnets. For I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for the nations. Nah. All right, so Tyre, the city of Tyre was like, imagine like Venice. That was kind of what it was like. It was like a city on the water. They had an island off the, off the coast, and they had a city on the coast. And so they controlled a lot of the trade in that time. They were a big populated coastal city. And so when Jerusalem fell, people of Tyre and the king of Tyre said, oh, sweet. Jerusalem fell and now we're going to get some more trade. We're going to get some more commerce. We're going to get rich off of this. And so God is against anyone who can rejoice over the calamities of others because those calamities increase their opportunities of amassing wealth. right. God is against that. So here's what happened with Tyre. Actually, wait, first I'm going to show you the map because this is everything. All right, so here's what happened with Tyre. You see it's an island and then there's old Tyre on the coast. So Babylon came, sacked them, but Babylon didn't tear down the whole city like the prophecy said. Babylon, over the course of 13 years, they took them over and they seized them. The city was still intact. Then later on, Persia came and did the same thing. But the city was still intact. And so we're thinking, okay, is this going to happen? When is the prophecy going to actually come to fruition? Hmm. So what happened in 332 BC, Alexander the Great came. And Alexander the Great, when he came, the people of Tyre said, okay, uh, well, Alexander, he has a great army, but he doesn't have a navy. So we're just going to go and we're going to flee to the island. He won't do anything to us. Right. But Alexander, what makes him great (laughs) is... But he thought outside the box. So what Alexander did was he took old Tyre, he took all the towers of Tyre, he said, pull all the towers down, take all the bricks, and throw them into the ocean. And so he took old Tyre and threw the whole city into the ocean and made a land bridge and attacked the island. And so that's what Alexander the Great did. And so we see this prophecy literally comes to fruition. Now that's, yeah, that's what it looks like now. And if you go there, you can see the pillars of the old city, literally sitting in the ocean, where people spread their fishnets. Isn't that freaky? When God speaks, it happens to to the letter. To the letter, yeah. So next, there's Egypt. And so Egypt is a little different also. Um, In chapter 29, verse 6, God addresses Egypt. And he says, you have been a staff of reed for the people of Israel. When they grasped you with their hands, you splintered and you tore open their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you broke and their backs were wrenched. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will bring a sword against you and kill both man and beast. Egypt will become a desolate wasteland and they will know that I am the Lord. So, the thing with Egypt is the Israelites, they had a weird relationship with them, right? Like they were enslaved for 400 years, and then they go in the desert, and they're thinking, oh man, well, at least we had food back in Egypt, right? There was always this, like, let's just go back to Egypt, right? And God did not like that. God did not like that. And when Babylon attacked them, Egypt said, hey, we'll help you out. We'll help you out, Israel. But they didn't, and they backed off, and it was like leaning on a reed. I think Jeremiah and Isaiah also used this lingo. You lean on the reed and it breaks. And Egypt is unreliable. Why do you keep going back to Egypt uh, for help? Mm-hmm. Right? And so God, he says, they will become a desolate wasteland. Mm-hmm. And he wants them to, he, he restores Egypt. Like he, is, Egypt isn't completely wiped out. They're um, preserved, right? But they're preserved as a lowly nation. And God specifically keeps Egypt as a lowly nation so that the diminished state of Egypt would remind the Israelites of their iniquity when they turn to follow Egypt. So it's almost like a symbol. Mm. It's like a, it's like a, it's like an ugly X. You always look back and you're like, why did I? Was that a good, wasn't a good example. All right, anyways. So we look at all these And we can see that God, he doesn't take kindly to people mistreating his people. He doesn't take kindly to people laughing at his sovereignty. He doesn't take kindly to kings thinking that they are gods. Pharaoh and the king of Tyre thought that they were gods, and he addresses them personally. He doesn't take kindly to that. And so, with all these, we can learn and we can trust. Well, first of all, we learn that God's word comes to pass, to the letter, to the T, specifically. We can also learn and trust that God will deal severely with corrupt nations, corrupt governments, corrupt kings of this earth, whether it's Israel or whether it's Israel's neighbors. So back to Ezekiel, or Ezekiel the guy. <laughs> um, so Ezekiel, these these are some kind of tough messages, right? He's It was hard for me to even of include these because I'm thinking man, this is like genocide, this is like death, this is like every time I say a city got sacked, I'm like that's, that's women and children, that's people yeah. and so this was kind of difficult I, I wanted to take that whole chunk out but that is the reality, like that is the whole picture and some of these ugly parts of the Bible we can't ignore them mm-hmm. right? Um, and so Ezekiel he has some tough messages that he has to relay some tough truths and realities that he has to relay. But it is best that God speak than not speak at all. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's best that God speak rather than not speak at all. And so some of the things that God gives Ezekiel, He gives him three different gifts. And he can give us these gifts also. Don't worry, it's not getting spooky, but um three gifts: insight, foresight, and oversight. Mm-hmm. Well, so insight is the ability to see into things that others can't, to understand things. But foresight is the ability to see things that are to come. Oversight is the ability to kind of sit, look at it from a bird's eye view, see the big picture, see God's unfolding purpose. And so Ezekiel, he had all three. He had insight, foresight, and oversight. He could see what was happening in people's hearts, whether they said it or not. He could see it. He could see what was happening in Jerusalem when he was living in modern-day Baghdad he could see what was going to happen in the future, in the present, right? He sees things across time and space, future, everything. And he sees those things because God showed him those things, right? So do we believe that God can see all these things? Do we believe that God has divine insight, divine foresight, divine oversight over everything? That God sees what's happening in Wall Street, and he also sees what's happening in Athens, Alabama, right? He knows exactly what new market is going to look like in a hundred years. If, if it's even going to, I guess it'll still be here. <laughs> Hopefully, right? A hundred years. But God also can see and perceive what's in the hearts of the leaders of Hamas or the reader of Israel. Mm-hmm. right? Or he knows what's going on in the mind of Joe Biden or Putin or Zelensky. And he also knows what's going on in the mind of Rhys, Garbita, or Ellie, or Esther, or even uh, Ezekiel, a little baby. Yeah, He knows what's going on in the hearts and minds of everybody here, from big to little, from old to young. He saw the purpose and the plan and the future of Moses when he was 80 years old, and he had a purpose and a plan and a future for Josiah when he was a king at eight years old. And God sees these things, and he gives his servants these things also sometimes. When he gives them to them, He does it to save his people. He does it to bring his people closer to him and to fulfill his purpose. So, if you feel like God gives you insight from time to time, how can you use it for his kingdom? Could you use your gift of insight to understand the misunderstood and be a friend to them? Could you use your gift of insight to help people understand the deeper parts of the Bible? how about could you use it to help people who are in fights and quarrels resolve their conflicts peacefully? Mm. If you feel like God gives you a gift of foresight from time to time, how can you use that for the kingdom? Could you warn and maybe gently influence people off of bad trajectories for their life? Could you fight for people in prayer that you see going down a wrong path? Or could you instill confidence in people for their future? Someone who might be doubtful, but you can see that they're going down the right path. Could you help prepare yourself or others for times to come? Say, hey, maybe let's memorize some scriptures on stress because you're about to go into this new job. Maybe let's read this book together on marriage since you're about to start dating. Maybe let's build a habit of praying because I know something rough is about to happen, right? Let's pray so that when you get tempted or when you're struggling, you're solid. Can you help prepare yourself and others for times to come? If you have a gift of oversight, how can you use that for God's kingdom? Could you help bring order to the chaos? Could you help administrate in a godly way? In a godly way, not barking orders, <laughs> but in a godly way, the way that God administrates things. Could you help remind people of a bigger picture of what God is doing? All right. The big picture is really comforting, and it it changes the way that you do things. It changes the way that you do little things. Um, I'm designing, right now at work, I'm designing a docking system for the space station. And for two years, I thought this was for a completely different space station. And then this month, not this month, six months ago... Someone told me, no, this is for the other space station. And I was over here working on nuts and bolts, little brackets and little wires and stuff. And they said, you know, this is going on the other thing. I was like, it's going on the other thing? No one told me that. And so it changed the way that I saw what I was doing. I was like, oh, this needs to be ready for deep space. This needs to be ready for lunar environments. Or this needs to be ready for, you know, a longer trip through space. So if I'm designing a car door, (laughs) I need to know whether it's for a minivan or a Maserati. All right. So I was building a minivan door for my right? Um Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. I didn't do too much. Um, yeah, I saw a look of concern on everyone's face. Um, yeah. Um, anyways, whether it's insight, foresight, or oversight, we must remember that there's no room for us in these gifts when God gives us these gifts alright 2nd Timothy 2.21 is a way I like to think about when God uses us Uh, it says therefore if anyone cleanses himself from these things he will be a vessel for honor sanctified useful to the master and prepared for every good work so when you're watering a plant oh nice when you're watering a plant the plant isn't thirsty for the, the vessel the plant isn't thirsty for the jar or the pot the planet is thirsty for the water, right? And so we are just vessels. Yes, if we think we're anything more than a vessel, then we're in sin. And if we refuse to be a vessel and we refuse to be used. We're also in sin, right? These people, they didn't need Ezekiel. They needed God. Yeah, that's right. The people, they didn't need Paul. They didn't need Peter. They didn't need James, Elijah. They needed God. But God just used those people as vessels. The vessel can be replaced. So are we selflessly being filled up by God and pouring it out through our gifts? Mm. Are we using it in a prideful, selfish way, seeking to benefit ourselves? Or on the other hand, are we refusing to use the insight, the foresight, the oversight that God has given us? The cup can always be replaced. Mm. So thinking in that sense, let's go to chapter 33. And this should be a familiar concept to us, uh, but hopefully I can shed some light on some other aspects of it. So in chapter 33 is the watchman, it talks about the watchmen. All right, so verse one says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land. And the people of the land choose one of their men and make them their watchmen. And he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life that person's life will be taken because of their sin but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood Mm -hmm. alright so the watchman you have a theoretical watchman sitting in a tower and he sees an army coming to attack the city and his job is to just blow the trumpet when he sees the army coming the people's role is to hear the trumpet and heed the warning alright Now if the watchman fails to blow the trumpet and he sees the army coming and the army comes and destroys the city, he's guilty. Their blood is on his head. But if the people, if he blows the trumpet and the people don't listen and they just go on about their business, then their blood is not on his hands. He's innocent. But those people, they're going to die and their blood is on their own hands. So as long as you blow the trumpet, if you are a watchman, right? As long as you blow the trumpet, their blood is not on your hands. As long as you... Warn people of the imminent destruction. Your blood is not on your hands. No. But what does it mean to blow the trumpet? I think many of us we can identify with this as we try to like save our friends, save save my family members. Let me tell my family members and my friends and my peers, right? What's what they got to do, right? I got to save them all. We all have that urgency when we get saved, right? Um, And we feel like it's super important for us to tell people of the wrong direction that they're going and their error and stuff. And Ezekiel is the the watchman of Israel, and he's warning these people about their error. He's warning them, hey, look at this error, look at this error, look at this error, this error. But if we look really deep, if we look really closely, we'll notice, or not that closely, we look at the beginning of every sentence that he says. He says, thus says the Lord, thus says the sovereign Lord, your error. Right? It's never, thus says Ezekiel, your error. And so the biggest flaw in the Watchmen of today is that we are pointing at human errors instead of just proclaiming God's truth. Proclaim God's truth to people. The watchman's role is not to micromanage, but to blow the trumpet. Imagine you are in the wilderness and you're lost, you've been lost for a few hours, and someone comes up and you like, oh, thank God, I found another person, and they're like, yeah, you need some help, here you go, and they hand you a watch. <laughs> they're like, look, here, here's a watch. So it looks like you've been lost for about six hours. All right, see you later. All right, that watch is worthless. The watch is worthless. And sometimes we can do that. We can go up to lost people and just hand them a watch and say, look at how long you've been lost. Look how badly you're lost. And then just walk away, don't give them, the, don't give them a map, right? We need to show people how to get unlost. We need to hand them a map. And that map is God's word. Yeah. Right. There's a difference between saying, man, you have a real bad drinking problem to me. Right. Versus saying, hey, would you like to read Proverbs? Let's read Proverbs 31. What do you think about Proverbs 31 where it talks about alcohol? What do you think about that? Why do you think the Bible says that? Right. Sitting down and just talking to someone, showing them the roadmap, showing them God's truth. The most important thing that we can tell people who are lost is the way. The most important thing we can tell people who are lost is the way. John 14, 6, we all know this scripture. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we're blowing the trumpet, hopefully we're blowing the trumpet that leads people to Christ. That leads people to God's word. That is proclaiming God's word not just handing them a watch in the middle of the forest. Hopefully when we're using our insight and our foresight and our oversight that God has given us, we're leading people to Christ. We're leading people to know God more, to know God more deeply. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for helping us get through this sermon. There's a lot of Rough stuff um, that we might not understand of the way you deal with the world and the big picture. Um, God, we trust you, and we trust that you are fair and just, and that you are sovereign. You just call yourself this sovereign Lord. Um, God, I pray that we can use the gifts that you give us, the insight that you give us, the foresight that you give us, the oversight that you give us for good, for your kingdom, for your glory. Father God, I pray that we can be watchmen in the proper way. I pray that when we do hear trumpets, that we will heed, heed the, the sound. And the people that we have maybe blown the trumpet for, that they will hear the sound and turn from the way God. But I just thank you for the way that you've acted mercifully, mercifully toward, toward us through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.